Hi guys, just a quick content warning for today's episode. There is mention of sexual assault and rape and murder and gore, so if you're not okay with that, now's your time to click off. And other than that, let's start today's episode. Hi guys, I'm hey. back. <laughs> it's Brendan and Maggie. Uh, um, this is Maggie's voice, because I apparently got some feedback from my father, and he obviously knows my voice, but he doesn't know anyone else's. So. Well... <laughs> <laughs> so today we're still continuing our horror hotspot uh yes. this week <laughs> wait can i just mention that we yes we know the zodiac killer has been solved or whatever we're talking about that next week on what's popping and on if they don't week, cancel on us yeah <laughs> and on next week's episode of armchair detectives yeah and i will correct myself because last week i said armchair experts when talking to grace yeah that's oh, a different okay. podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Shepard. You don't wash your children. <laughs> so um, this week we're actually doing Dalton's story. Dalton is one of our Talon reporters. Our so, besties. Yes, our unfortunately bestie. he couldn't be here talking about it because he's not in TCTV this period. Wasn't he supposed to be? That's anyways, a great question. That's a but <laughs> anyways, for this Horror Hotspot story, we're going to be talking about the Kobe cannibal. Um, this was set in Japan in 19... 19- in like uh sorry the 20th century um Issa Sagawa was born on April 26 1949 in Kobe Japan oh he we're w- getting right into this okay. yeah yep yeah we let's are go. <laughs> let's go he was a young boy and like he was born into a family that was like pretty like well off financially um his father was a successful businessman and at an early age um but unfortunately at an early age he was diagnosed with a disease that infected a small intestine but it was later cured um, the diagnosis led him to be more of an introvert um, at a young age, and he became very smart and excelled in school and was very fascinated with literature. But that wasn't the only thing <clears throat> he was fascinated with at school. Um, what filled his mind wasn't just the words on the page, but the flesh of his classmates. Um, the boy started to have cannibalistic desires, um, ones brought on by seeing this by seeing his classmates. Uh, the first was in fourth grade when, in first grade, when his, when he saw a thigh of one of the kids in his class, and this is, like, um, was to be known as one of, like, the first, his first, like, cannibalistic cravings. That is so disgusting. Yeah, because, I mean, like, he's in first grade. Mmm, a thigh. (laughs) Yeah, and then as he started, um, growing up into a young adult, he began... Um, having inappropriate behaviors with his dog. No, please don't tell me. Please it, don't tell it, me. It's, yeah, it's bestiality. It is. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I don't like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, he started having like a desire for you know uh, flesh even more, especially in women. Um, he Jesus. later went on to attend. Uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. Wakao at WAKO University um, to study um, English literature. In in college, um, his desires for human flesh um, became too much to bear, and the young man decided to take uh, take action upon the idea. Um, And then at age 24, he had followed a woman home, and he had the idea of slicing a piece off of her skin to keep for himself while she was asleep. Um, but he, when he was caught in the act, the woman was frightened, pushed him to the ground, 
uh, foiling his attempt, and he was later arrested by the Japanese authorities and charged with attempted sexual assault. As as he should, and as she should. Yeah. yeah. Push that push that man to the ground. I'm glad she wasn't like killed yeah. or anything. Um, but glad he got caught for that. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't admit the true intention um, of his crimes, so his charges were later dropped. And with his victim receiving a, um, a settlement from his family. An attempt to es- escape this um, odd past, <laughs> um, the newly, in quotes, innocent young man had moved to France and enrolled in a university there to continue stud- um, studying literature. Um, though his cannibalistic desires f- um, f- still followed with him to Europe, he would frequently bring over prostitutes with the intent of killing them and then, go- and then feasting on their flesh. He attempted many times, but he can never pull himself to follow through with murdering them. This is... <laughs> I'm, like, getting, like, chills, yeah, like, reading no, this. Literally. Um, and then one day he met a college classmate, classmate named Rene Hartevelt. Um, they became friends and, became, and then became better friends. And whether Rene knew the true intentions behind the friendship or not... Um, one night, Saga, um, Sagawa invited um, Renee over to, <coughs> excuse me, allegedly help translate poems for her over dinner, and in an attempt to quote unquote absorb her energy, he later stated in an interview he shot Renee in the neck, killing her in cold blood. Yeah, I have no words. I'm speechless uh, right now. Yeah, yeah. absorb Ugh. her energy. Uh-huh. And the absolute best way to do that is killing them. And then <laughs> probably fe- feasting on her. Mm, uh, um, yeah. And so after th- this long desire, mm-hmm. um, what happened after is he began to um, engage in certain um, actions, the corpse. <laughs> Necrophilia? Yeah, I just don't want to say that word. (laughs) Wow, this Um, guy is a real bad person. (laughs) Yeah, and even mutilating her body. He then began butchering her corpse with a butcher's knife, consumed her flesh, cooked or even raw, um, and then storing whatever he hadn't, hadn't finished in his refrigerator. Mm. And then he also shot photos um, of her in each stage of his consumption. Mm. And then after four days of absorbing this tissue, Mm -hmm. uh, this woman's tissue, he packed the remains in suitcases to be later dumped into a lake in an attempt to um, get rid of the evidence. Mm -hmm. And then obviously like try to clear himself. Um, Mm -hmm. The plan was almost foolproof until pedestrians noticed blood leaking from his suitcases. Wow. And That's which, really what's going to get him. In which they, like, called the French authorities. Yeah. Like, you know, like, hey, there's blood leaking from this guy's suitcase. Um, and then he uh, confronted what he had did to the authorities, and they discovered it and confiscate, confiscated the remains of the body, placing him under arrest, as they should. Then in France, um, a judge found Sagawa not fit to stand trial, and he dropped all the charges. The murderer deemed clinically insane and was deported back to Japan, where he was sentenced to spend the rest of his life in a mental institution. Okay. 
Um, but due to a legal technicality, the French documents used to convict him in France were sealed to Japanese officials, leaving no substantial evidence to convict him under law. So essentially, he was a free man. Are you kidding me? Please tell me they were able to get him. Uh, we're almost done. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Sagawa signed and released himself out of an institutional custody on August 12, 1986. Since then, he's been granted freedom to roam as a free man under le- legality. I'm probably pronouncing yeah, that word legality. wrong. Okay. And then in an interview in 2017, he expressed his desire to do it again, stating, in quotes, I want to eat them again while I'm alive so that I can at least be satisfied when I die. Oh, my goodness. And Sagawa still lives as a free man in a town right outside of Tokyo today. You are kidding me. You're kidding me. No. This this man did all of this and got away with it all? Oh, I need to search no. out more about this, man. I've never heard about, um... I've never heard about this... <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry to see my mic. I need to search out more about this guy because I've never heard about that this case before. insane. And, like, me. you know, we've all heard about cannibalism, but, like, this yeah. is to, like... A, a like, different like, level. Beyond sinister. <laughs> and especially since he's still... He's free. Like, I don't like thinking about that. Like, obviously, Tokyo is very far away from us where we are, but... Um, like there's still living people around him <laughs> like how and like the thing is like what we read is like this is like public you know what i'm saying like yeah. how i like i have to like look over this like reading this again Sorry. because of like how like i just bumped my mic out of frustration <laughs> and anger how is this man free oh my gosh the thing i keep looking back is um in Dalton's story, it says, but due to a legal technicality, the French documents used to convict Sagawa in France were sealed to Japanese officials, leaving no substantial evidence to convict him under law. Essentially, he was a free man. Then, re- re- what is it called? Like, just take it back. Just say, sorry, we didn't want to seal these from you. We're giving you these records so you can charge this dude because he's done hein- he's committed heinous crimes. That is insane to me. So we just searched him up, and he is 72 years old. So he's still living. He is 4'9"? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Short Kings, you have lost one. You have you have lost Short my Kings? trust in, in Short Kings. I can't... I mean, I can't trust any Short Kings anymore. And he's also known as the uh, Pang, or the Kobe Cannibal. Um... Wow. That makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, it says he is shunned by most of his family, and he lives quietly outside of Tokyo. As he should be shunned by all of his most of his family. Like, what? <laughs> it, like, puts, like, a really bad feeling in my stomach. Yeah. And then I bet he has to be up there with, like, like a pretty infamous cannibals. Oh, yeah. well, right here it says who is the most famous, famous cannibal, and it says Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, and he was before or after Jeffrey Dahmer? Uh, this happened during the 80s, and it says so, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. During? Uh, it says Jeffrey Dahmer murdered 17 young men between 1978 and 1991. So, yeah. But, um, what's so his like name? It was before Jeffrey Dahmer, like, was Well, known. I guess it was, like, 
during, I guess it yeah. was in the 80s. Um, or let me search up the exact date. Man, the 80s were an insane time. Yeah. But also, Sagawa, like, even though what he did is, like, absolutely horrendous, mm-hmm. um, he only had killed one person. Mm-hmm. Rather than, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer had killed, I think he said 17. Yeah. Okay, so we just searched it up uh, when he had uh, killed Renee, and this was in 1981. Ni- 1981? Yeah. And then, um, like, on Google, like, you know how it says, like, oh, like, most popular searches, it was, like, why did Sagawa walk free? And it said, because the charges in France have been dropped, the core documents were sealed, which we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, sorry, that was, like... Like, I wasn't there for that one episode. Um, what's his... Uh, I know Lauren had talked about... Yeah, Albert Fish. Oh, yeah. She talked about that one. That was just... Oh. I had... Like, because I had listened to it later. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, I... Like, you know, like, we know about these famous serial killers and what they've done, but, like, she talked about that, like, in-depth. I mean, yeah. it was still interesting, but it was very, like, just... Yeah. Oh, gosh. I don't like... Mm-mm. Well, <laughs> um, thank you, Dalton, if you're out there listening. Uh, you wrote a fantastic story. And it definitely creeped us out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will not be. Hotspot. <laughs> I will not be able to eat dinner tonight. Yeah. I don't think. Also, you guys should go view my story out in the town for my horror hotspot. I did mine about the Max Headroom hijacking, which we talked about. I think Amani had talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of like Amani's. I think I just wrote like a little bit more in depth. But. Right go check it out and uh just letting you know uh the horror hotspots that we're talking about on the podcast aren't the only ones we release them um i think it's monday wednesday friday um or wednesday friday sorry i forgot the top of my head um mm-hmm. but yeah make sure to view those in the town anyways uh do you want to go maggie yeah okay i just changed mine last minute i was gonna <laughs> do i was gonna do this man like the every dream of this man yeah but i changed wow i'm really loud i changed mine to the elon school which i believe i briefly mentioned last episode yeah i remember you saying you were gonna uh talk about it in one episode Mm -hmm. and i feel like now would be a fitting time because i haven't been able to stop thinking about it ever since i like listened to last episode it's insane to me i think that um this every time I think about it I mean it's pretty unsettling um so the Elon school um was a private uh sorry I feel like I'm so loud um was a private co-educational and controversial uh residential behavior modification program and therapeutic boarding school in Poland Maine Andrew Scoggin County? Okay. <laughs> um, the facility was closed down on April 1st, 2011, due to re- the many reports of abuse um, dating back to its opening all the way in 1970. So it was formerly a hunting lodge, if that gives any um, information on... <laughs> what it looks like um there were other campuses as well um and but this main campus was known to have some of the worst abuse in the school's history and said to have been 
put out of use sometime in the 1980s. Um, so <laughs> it was founded by, I usually wouldn't go too much in this to this background, but it was founded by Gerald Davidson, investor, uh, he, who was a psychiatrist, and investor David Goldberg and Joseph Ritchie, who was Joseph Ritchie was a former heroin addict who had worked with young people in drug treatment facilities. Um, so Ritchie headed the school until his death in 2001, and then his um, widow took over. Um, so let's get into the abuse that this um, school put at the hands of their children. Um, so... The school was specialized in treating teenagers with behavioral problems. Um, and humiliation was uh, stated clearly as a therapeutic tool. Um, and as oh, um, as is following up on such intervention with encouragement and warm support, which is like just that definition of humiliation and then warm support that is literally one of the definitions of emotional abuse mm -hmm. and making someone rely on you um definitely so throughout its history the school has faced with numerous allegations of student maltreatment in 2001 details magazine cited elon as among the most controversial of the nation's residential therapeutic communities um in 1975, state officials removed 11 children from the Elan program, alleging mistreatment. In 2002, during the trial of Michael Skagel, who we talked about last time, mm -hmm. um, he was an Elan alumnus. Uh, witnesses testified that beatings and public humiliations were parts of life at Elan during the late 70s. Uh, in trial testimony, former students also described the practice of placing a student in a boxing ring surrounded by classmates who confronted the students. Um, the New York Times has reported that at the school, smiling without permission can lead to a session of cleaning urinals with a toothbrush that can last for hours. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, the New York State Education Department, which has paid tuition for special education students to attend Alon gave the school a favorable review in 2005. And then in 2007, New York education officials raised questions about the school's practices, alleging in a, in a letter to the school and Maine education officials that Alon students were physically restraining their peers and being deprived of sleep. Um, the allegations prompted the state of New York to threaten to withdraw tuition money, blah, 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 for taxpayer students. Um, in March 2016, which is very recently, mm -hmm. Maine State Police announced they had opened a cold case investigation into the death of former Elan resident Phil Williams, who died on December 22nd, 27th, 1982, after participating in Elan's ring, where students were forced to fight each other as a means of behavior modification. The state police later announced no charges would be filed as a result of their investigation, citing insufficient evidence. So that's just the beginning of it, but um, 
I'm about to go deeper into more of their um, more specific uh, stories, I guess. <laughs> um, so during the 1970s, the youth of America were consumed by, quote unquote, <laughs> rebellious hippie subculture. So a lot of parents um, did not like the way their children were behaving and th- thought they needed fixing. So they um, contacted Alon School um, and sent them there. Um, so the horrors of Alon School were so intensive and intricate that they began even before a student would enter the institution's campus. They involved secrecy, dishonesty, and in some cases, outright deception. Um, first, the parents so, of the supposedly troubled team teen would come across one of the advertisements of a lawn school in like newspaper or by mail sometimes they were targeted advertisements to those parents um and the parents would read about how this a lawn was revolutionizing revolutionary and you know was changing so many kids and um they would contact the staff arrange their children to send there to be there and um, undergo the behavioral therapy. Each child would, um, like, tuition would be anywhere from fifty to $60,000 for the full amount of time that they went there, which would be 8th through 12th grade. Um, oftentimes, the team, teens would not be notified of this decision. They would have no say or choice whatsoever. And because in Lon's enrollment process hinged on the element of surprise, the school went horrific went to horrific lengths to ensure the teens attended the school. Alon would then hire a teen escort company to quite literally abduct the teenager in the middle of the night um, from their bedroom and bring them to the school. T- um, and these companies are not only legal, but they still exist to this day. Um, and, like, sometimes the teens would be notified that they would be leaving the next day, so they would have a backpack. Sometimes they wouldn't. Um, the men would break into the teens' bedroom, physically subdue them, tie them up with plastic handcuffs, throw them into a van, and then drive to Poland, Maine. Oh, my God. And be handed over to the Elan school. Such experiences often traumatized the teens who were, adop- who were abducted, obviously. Um, and that's just where the horror begins. Um, from the beginning, Alon was, I feel like I just keep repeating myself. They, you know, they are dehumanizing and demoralizing the students who attend. Um, and so, uh, Alon was located in Maine, Milder, Maine wilderness. So it was exactly in the middle of nowhere. Um, so even if, I mean, we'll get into the running away later, but. Even if students were to try and run away, they would have nowhere to go to. Um, So, and many former students still can recall the feeling of dread that came over them when they first saw the school. Um, And like uh, many, many times these teens would try to run away as soon as they saw the school. That's a plane. Yeah, sorry, that's a plane if you heard that. Um, the teens would try to run as soon as they saw the school, but obviously they had guards because this was basically a prison. <laughs> um, and they would wait in the woods around a lawn, waiting to season es- any escapees. Um, they were not afraid to get violent, obviously, 
If anything, they took sadistic pleasure in getting physical with fleeing kids. Oh. Um, this, too, was intended to dehumanize the students, ingrained that in their minds that they were no longer human beings with basic rights. They were prisoners, captives, and hostages to the school. They had no rights. They were powerless and slaves and nothing more. Um, in fact, in an interview in 1979, Joe Ritchie put it sh- plain and straight at Elan. The first thing you learn is that you're not going to get out of here. No matter how many times you run away, we will go and get you. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, sometimes the school is quoted as um, the cult school because of how um, how the hier- hierarchy was set up. So there were um, strengths and non-strengths. Um, strengths or n- non-strengths were not permitted to talk um, un- under any circumstance to other non-strengths. Um, and only strengths could talk to non-strengths. Um, and so strengths obviously were in positions of power. They felt like they were better than their peers. And um, they had like different privileges, even though I don't think anyone at this school really had any privileges. <laughs> um, uh, one, some students could earn the, pr- earn the privilege of being able to call home once a week um, they were subject to heavy restriction, and all phone lines um, went through a switchboard inside a trailer within the complex. So no matter what, they could just disconnect the phone call if the students started talking about anything that had happened at the school. In fact, they actually couldn't say anything except that the school was great and that they were learning a lot. Um, if the student... Uh, sorry. I just, that would have been repeating myself again. Um, These were some, this is just a small list of some forbidden activities. I'm not going to read everything because it's quite extensive, but talking too loudly, talking too quietly, talking to someone without authorization, talking too much, not talking enough, uh, looking at someone of the opposite sex, deliberately avoiding looking at someone of the opposite sex, being attracted to someone, looking outside, looking at the floor, having negative body language, and much, much more. This length is, this list is extensive, such as, more as, such as feeling tired. Is that a drawing? Yeah, drawing, oh my God. reading or writing, um, slouching, yawning, reacting to insults, uh, going outside without permission, not eating at all, eating after desired mealtimes, um, wearing clothes with quote-unquote image, having quote-unquote bad thoughts. Just, it's a very extensive list, and it's absolutely insane. Um, and obviously, all of the rules were impossible to follow, and that was the point. So that, um, this, like, they were set up to break the rules, no matter how hard they tried, because once... Once they break the rules, they can um, they can then punish them with an excuse. Um, they had to write down every little private thought in their head, even their most personal fantasies, and show it to administration, who would who in turn would use this sensitive information to humiliate or even blackmail them. Gosh, this is just so sad thinking 
about this school. Like, yeah, and what'd you say? Didn't it shut down like 2016? 2011. 11. Which sorry. is really not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, it's 10 years ago, but still. Mm-hmm. Punishments for guilt um, were called learning experiences or LEs. And they were built on an abject, they were built on abject humiliation. Among teenagers, humiliation is depressingly effective at demoralizing and dehumanizing its victims. And so Elan took advantage of that. Um, those who tried to escape from Elan were designated at split risks. Um, split risks didn't even have to actually attempt to escape. Being sad, looking outside, or even merely thinking about escaping was enough to designate a split risk. Um, split risks were given shoes without laces and forced to wear bright pink yellow shirts and skimpy little pink shorts. Oh my God. Um, if they ran away more than once, they would be forced to wear a pink rabbit suit, walk without any shoes, and wear leg shackles. <sighs> Sorry. Students who did poorly on their academics, because they had to do academics this whole time while being abused, um, were forced to wear humiliating signs listing their offenses or giant dunce caps all day long. And they were subjected to verbal abuse by not just their teachers and the authorities there, but as well as their peers. Um, sorry, this is just so sad. So I'll just talk about one more thing here that just further intensifies the abuse that these children suffered. Um, if a student committed um, a guilt, guilt um, a school administrator would often yell general meeting and the entire student body within an individual house would convene in the dining room in front of the student. Um, a broomstick would be placed on the floor in front of the student um, behind which all of the all of their peers would gather, um, the administration would then administrator would then yell, "Get your feelings off!" And then every student in the room would launch um, a screaming, shrieking, deafening torrent of abuse at the at the teen, mocking, degrading, insulting, and screaming their vile, vulgar, vulgar pejoratives right into his or her face. Um, I can't read any of the examples because they would yell expletives and obscenities. And I I also yeah. just don't feel comfortable saying all of that because... You don't have to. Yeah, people suffered abuse at the hands of those words. And it, it would go on uninterrupted for up to 40 minutes. It didn't matter if the student apologized or begged them to stop. The screaming would continue until the teen was thoroughly mentally and emotionally broken. General meetings were a very common occurrence, happening almost every single day, and usually multiple times a day. Yeah, that's the that's the most part of Alon School. There's so much more, and you can go and look it up. It's very sad that even to think that there are people alive who survived Alon School, mm-hmm. and even that there are people who may not have survived it, right? Yeah. Um, like, they may have, like, literally gone through the four years and then been fine. But, like, people who can four come years, out. Four years, wow. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I, like, don't have any words, like, to describe. I'm just, like, in shock. Right. Yeah. So that's why I'm, that's why I was, like, I have to talk about this this, this week because 
I briefly mentioned it last week, and I just feel like it was pretty important. Yeah. Um, I think that wraps up today's episode. Um, I know this episode was a bit dark. Um, <laughs> but thank you, everyone, for listening, and then we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.